John chapter number 1 this morning is where we'll be for our time in the Word of God. John chapter number 1. Well, the countdown is quickly moving forward toward Christmas Day, isn't it? You probably, most of you, if not all of you, have some decorations up and about the house now. And you're looking forward with anticipation to that day, Christmas Day. Perhaps one of the reasons you're looking forward to that day with anticipation because all the extra events that take place in December will be passed and you might have a chance to breathe for a few moments. But what a joyous time of year it is. I enjoy the decorations during Christmas time. We found out this past week that our youngest, Adeline, also really enjoys the decorations. We were at my parents' home on Monday evening, enjoyed dinner with them, and Michael came from the front room at one point, and he said, Addie is playing with the ornaments on the tree. And like a good dad, I just called out from where I was, Addie, leave the ornaments alone. And I think it was my mom came, had gone that way, and then come over, and she said, Addie is trying to eat the ornaments. And what she meant by that is Addie had actually taken one of the glass ornaments, put it in her mouth, and bit down on it, and it exploded. And there were ornament pieces on the floor, there were ornament pieces in her mouth. I think I may have stretched her esophagus a little bit, reaching in as far as I could and pulling stuff out of her mouth. She survived the ordeal, as I'm sure you're aware. But it was quite exciting there for a little bit, just to see how Addie decided to enjoy the Christmas decorations. It's easy to get lost, isn't it? This time of year, and the lights, and the extra events, and the decorations, and the gifts, and the parties, and miss. Just miss what the season is about. We've already discussed that Jesus, in coming to us, brought with him the gifts of hope and peace. And that his appearance is the real reason for the season. As we turn in our Bibles to the gospel according to John chapter 1, we'll discover another gift that Jesus brought with him at his appearance. As John began the, his gospel letter, he does so differently than Luke. Luke takes us to Bethlehem and tells us about Joseph and Mary and, and the manger and the angels and the shepherds and so on. But John, he zooms out. John's not looking at all those details on the night Jesus was born John, in his version of the Christmas story, gives us the big picture. Not the little pieces fitting together. He gives us the whole puzzle. Not the strands and the tapestry. He gives us the whole work. Here in John chapter 1. And what John wrote here is a cause for joy. No matter what we face in life, joy is the theme of the message as we consider the heart of Christmas. 
Now, at the outset, it's important that we recognize that happiness, as we think of it and joy, are not the same thing. There's a difference between them. We experience a sense of happiness when our circumstances are pleasant and we're relatively free from troubles. The problem, though, is that that kind of happiness is fleeting. It varies and changes with the circumstances. You know, if I was on my way to church with my family this morning, and on the way to church we were driving down Halifax Road and and halfway to church, and suddenly I had a tire blow. Just right there as I'm driving to church, and and it was clear my tire had gone flat. Maybe I hit a piece of glass or a, a nail or something like that, and the air just went out of the tire. And you can tell as you're moving down the road that that has happened. I can tell you right now, I would have pulled over, and I would have gotten out of my car and looked, and I would not have done this. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God, for a flat tire. I wouldn't have done that. I'd have been frustrated. I'd have been agitated. I might have kicked the tire. I I might have cursed the person who threw a piece of glass on the road or something like that. But I would not have been very happy. But, you know, in that same situation, though, I wouldn't have been very happy... The reality is that something like that should not turn my life upside down. Shouldn't disturb my life to the point of my joy in Christ being affected. These words, and it's a lengthy quote, but I want you to listen. It's penned by Billy Graham, and it really helps us to understand the difference between happiness and joy. He wrote, many people think that being happy and being joyful are the same thing, but there is a difference. We experience that sense of happiness when our circumstances are pleasant and we're relatively free from troubles. The problem, however, is that this kind of happiness is superficial and fleeting. When circumstances change, as they inevitably do, then this kind of happiness evaporates like the early morning fog in the heat of the sun. Even when our outward circumstances are seemingly ideal, we still may be troubled inside by a nagging hunger or longing for something we cannot identify. We say we are happy, but deep down inside, we know it is only temporary and shallow at best. Even from time to time, we may think we found a degree of happiness, but it eventually vanishes. The kind of happiness that's lasting is an inner joy and peace, which endures in any circumstance, no matter what comes our way. It may even grow stronger in adversity. This is the kind of happiness to which Jesus summons us in his sermon of the Beatitudes. He alone has the answer to the search for lasting happiness. He who heeds the word of God wisely will find good. Happy is he, Proverbs 16, 20. Such happiness for which our souls ache is one undisturbed by success or failure, one that dwells deep within us and gives us inward contentment, even in despairing circumstances. It needs no outward stimulus. 
Count it all joy, the Bible says, when you fall into various trials. Because happy is the person who has learned the secret of being content with whatever life brings, and then to share this secret with others who need encouragement. We discover joy in the coming of Jesus. Look with me at John chapter 1, verse 14. The Bible declares to us, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. How do we experience joy in the coming of Jesus? How does that produce joy in my life? Some simple thoughts this morning. Number one, we can have joy because God came to us. We can have joy Because in Jesus coming to us, God came to us. We often talk about, you know, when someone has a baby, we may even refer to that baby as a little bundle of joy. When that baby is born into the world, it's a a situation, an an event, a, a reason for joy. Do you know today that when Jesus was born into this world, truly, joy came. Because when Jesus was born into this world, God came to us. John 1.14 declares, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. John declares to us that God came to us as a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Earlier in the chapter, in verses 1 and 2, we learn that Jesus had always existed, but in coming to us, he took on an existence or identity that he had not had previously. When I got married, I took on an identification that I had not had previously. What was that? Husband. When we gave birth to our first child, I took on an identification that I had not had previously. What was that? Dad, father. I lived before those things. But at the moment that I said I do to Stephanie, and at the moment that Brooklyn was born into the world, I took on identifications in existence that I hadn't had previously as a dad, as a husband. Jesus is, always has been, and always will be God. But when he was born into this world, he took on humanity. The language that John uses is emphatic, and he couldn't express it in a greater way. He took on flesh. He didn't just take on the form of a man. That had happened at times in the Old Testament where God and or Jesus took on the form of a man. 
But when Jesus came into the world in the incarnation, he didn't just take the form of man, he became a man. At the same time, wrap your heads around this, he was all God and all man. It wasn't a 25-75 split, a 50-50 split, 51-49 split, it was a 100-100 split. We can't even understand that. And yet it's what the Bible declares. 1 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes it this way, and without controversy, in other words, there's no denying this, there's no arguing this point. This is not something that you and I should debate about. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Point number one, God was manifest in the flesh. God came to us. John goes on and he says he dwelt among us. Dwelt is the translation of the Greek word skenao, and it means to pitch a tabernacle or to live in a tent. And it's a really interesting wordplay compared to the Old Testament and the tabernacle of the Old Testament. If you go back to the Old Testament and you read through Exodus, it it can get a little laborious reading through the chapter after chapter, the details of the, the tabernacle and how they were to put it together and what was to make up the tabernacle. But as you read through those details and that explanation, what you come to find out is on the outside, the tabernacle was pretty ordinary looking. Within the the camp of Israel, it looked a lot like the other tents, except it was in the middle, and it was was surrounded by a fence, as it were. The furnishings on the outside of the tabernacle were brass. Pretty common, ordinary-looking material. On the outside, it looked ordinary, it looked normal, it looked average, But if you went into the tabernacle, it changed completely. On the inside of the tabernacle, the the linens were fine, and they were vivid colors of blue, purple, and scarlet. The furnishings on the inside of the tabernacle were gold. And then you go through the veil into the Holy of Holies, if you could, which you couldn't. But there you would see the gold Ark of the Covenant. And after it was complete... The Shekinah glory. The physical manifestation of the presence of God shining and reflecting off all of the gold surfaces within the tabernacle. A lot like Jesus who came and he veiled his glory. On the outside, he was very normal, average looking. The Bible to us a body was prepared for him isaiah says he has no form nor comeliness and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him on the outside jesus was very normal and average looking you wouldn't look at jesus and think well he must be the messiah i mean look at him no very normal and average looking but on the inside full of glory He unveiled it a little bit. Not not necessarily through the miracles and the signs and wonders, though certainly those were demonstrations of the power of God. 
But on the Mount of Transfiguration, he allowed himself to be unveiled a little bit before Peter, James, and John. And in, in, re, in response to that sight, what did, what did Peter declare? Let's just build a tabernacle right here and let's worship you. Because he unveiled that glory just a little bit. This particular word, dwelt, is found only four places in the New Testament. Besides here in John 1.14, the other uses are all in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Specifically, Revelation 21.3 declares this, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. Here in Revelation 21, 3, the Bible is describing the new creation, the, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. And it declares to us that God will once again be visibly present with his people. We'll be with him. He'll be ours and we'll be his. These all, the tabernacle of the Old Testament, the tabernacle of the new creation, but most emphatically, the coming of Jesus revealed God's desire to be with man, to redeem man, to help and to heal man. The circumstances of life have a way of robbing us of joy, don't, don't they? When you think about your life and the events and the experiences that make up your life, there are some that are happy, that produce joy, you might even say. But there are many events and experiences of life that would rob you of that joy, that would rob you of that, that blessedness. Life is hard. Man is born unto trouble. Disappointment, frustration, and loss can suck the very life from us. However, Jesus' birth reminds us that no matter how hard life is, we don't have to go through it alone. When the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds in those hills outside of Bethlehem on the night of Jesus' birth, he opened his message with these words to them. And the children's church kids quoted it earlier. Luke 2.10, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great, what? Joy, which shall be to all people. Okay, why shouldn't we fear? What is this message of great joy? Verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You see, friends, it's a message of joy. It's one that brings and produces joy. Because our Savior is Christ the Lord. He is God come in the flesh. And He is here. God came to us. So whatever life has produced for you, Whatever your failures and your sins have been, God is here. And that makes all the difference. Through that truth, you and I can have joy. Because God came to us. Number two, we can have joy because of what God provides to us. 
and the Word, Jesus, who was, is, and always will be God, became flesh and dwelt among us. God came to us, but then it goes on to say this, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Of Jesus, who is God come in the flesh, the Apostle John, who is an eyewitness, said that he shone the glory of God. How so? What is John identifying when he says that? An Old Testament account really helps us to understand. In Exodus 33, verse 18, Moses cried out to God on Mount Sinai, and he said this, God, show me your glory. Moses had already been called of God to serve him as the deliverer. He had already gone to Egypt. He had seen the ten plagues, the ten miracles of God. He had talked with God. He was as a friend of God who spoke to him face to face. And as he's there on Mount Sinai receiving the covenant, receiving the commandments of God, Moses says, all right, God, let's pause for just a moment. God, I'd, I'd really like to see your glory. Exodus thirty three nineteen. God responded and he said this and he said I will make all my goodness pass before thee and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee listen and will be gracious unto whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy God show me your glory and God says all right Moses I'll do so and here's what you'll see you're going to see my goodness what is the glory of God the goodness of God and Moses you're going to hear something you're going to hear my name and what does my name represent grace mercy Exodus 34 5 through 7 is is doing this the bible says and the lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there he stood with moses there and he proclaimed the name of the lord and the lord passed by before him the goodness of god passed by before him and the lord proclaimed the lord the lord god merciful and gracious long-suffering and abounding in goodness and Truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and the fourth generation. What is God doing? He's showing and declaring his glory, his goodness, his grace, his mercy, the truth. His glory. Listen very carefully. Jesus came to show us the Father. To show us graphically who God is and what his heart is for us. Just as God showed and declared himself to Moses as our God of grace and truth. So John says of Jesus, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Later on, John went on to explain in verses 16 and 17, and of his fullness 
have we all received and grace for grace for the law was given by Moses but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ the scholar John Phillips wrote of these corresponding qualities of grace and truth that they are a Hebraism for the sum total of divine revelation, grace corresponds with the revelation of God as love. Truth corresponds with the revelation of God as light. In other words, when Jesus came, God come in the flesh and shone forth the glory of God, full of grace and truth, he showed us who God is and he showed us what God's heart is for us. You know, a common misconception among man is the belief that we have to be perfect or strive really hard to measure up to God's standard to earn something from him. It's very unfortunate because that belief robs us of joy. Because we are broken, hurt people who hurt others. We make mistakes, we live selfish lives, and we can never do enough to satisfy or to earn a relationship with God. And in many ways, it's like people liken God to Santa Claus. I mean, think about it. What is the representation of Santa Claus? Who will Santa Claus bring presents to? Those on the nice list. But if you're on the naughty list, what are you going to get from Santa? I think someone said coal or something. Nothing, <laughs> right? Nothing you want. Is that what the Bible declares about God? You know, if you're on the nice list, God will bless you and you'll go to heaven. If you're on the naughty list, well, that's not good. But here's what the Bible actually says. Romans 5, verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners. Think about that. While we were yet sinners. Stephanie had no idea that that this was a part of my message. I know you think she writes them all. A couple of days ago, she sent me a text message, and I guess it was something she had seen on Facebook or something, but it was a picture of a coffee cup with a really mean-looking Santa on it. And it said something like, nice list, question mark, read Romans 3, 10 through 18. There is none righteous, no, not one. They're all gone out of the way and become filthy and all that. Nobody's on the nice list. Everybody's on the naughty list, okay? That all the world may become guilty before God, Romans 3.19. But I'm very thankful that it doesn't stop there. Yes, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all fall short of his goodness. We all fall short of his holiness. We all fall short of earning anything from him. 
And as long as you and I go about life er trying to earn and trying to strive to measure up to earn God's love, to earn a relationship with him, to earn from God, that's actually going to rob you of joy. The Bible declares, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, the reality, it's interesting, every religion in the world, study, you'll find this to be true. Every religion in the world teaches that man has to make his way to God, except one. Biblical Christianity, opposed to all the other religions of the world, declares that we cannot get to God. So he came to us. The gift of God's grace is offered to us generously without price because we could never afford it on our own. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Do you realize today that you are loved by God? You're not just tolerated or put up with. You're not just... Uh, someone who, who God looks on with disdain, you're loved, deeply loved, in fact. John says this love that God has for us is like that of a father for his children whom he pities. Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. God loves us so much that he knew we could never earn our way to him, so he came to us. He loves us so much that he gave Jesus to make a way for us to come to him. And in love, he provides for us so that we do not stay the way that we are. You can come to God through Christ just as you are, but friends, he'll not leave you the way that he finds you. Through grace, he provides for us to grow and become more like him. Joy is at the heart of Christmas because God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We couldn't get to him, so God came to us. He became one of us. He took upon him flesh and made himself obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. When he came to us, he came full of grace and truth and so joy is at the heart of christmas we can have joy today because we have his presence with us we can have joy today because he loves us he gives us grace upon grace he provides what we need for our lives to change so through all circumstances we can have joy in and through Some of you may know this name. Just to be honest with you, I didn't know it until recently. How many of you know the name Joni Erickson Tata? Okay, yeah, see, I was in the dark. Some of you probably know a little bit about her story. As a young woman, Joni became a wheelchair-bound quadriplegic due to a diving accident. Interestingly, if you listen to her testimony, she had trusted Christ and then, you know, as often will happen, wandered away from God. But 
late in her high school days, she was seeking God, seeking direction for her life. She'd been praying to God about, God, what's your purpose for me? It was right during that time frame of her life that she had a diving accident. She, again, became a quadriplegic and had and has endured many years of suffering. But through all of it, she has come to know God better. And she has something to say to those who are suffering, having understood it. She shared about how years ago she also contracted breast cancer. And one day as she and her husband were returning home from chemotherapy treatments, they were talking about suffering and and identified it this way. They said suffering is like little splashovers of hell in this life. It's like enduring a, a little bit of what hell must be like. And Joni shared in her testimony that her husband looked at her and said, well, if that's true, if suffering is like little splashovers of hell, then are little splashovers of heaven when life is easy and everything is good and life is what you want it to be? And as they thought and as they talked, they came to the conclusion that no, that's not the little splashovers of heaven. She said in her testimony, no, splashovers of heaven are when you find Jesus in your splashovers of hell. When in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the things that would drag you down and, and make you despair of life and lose hope, those are the little splashovers of hell. And the little splashovers of heaven aren't the opposite when everything's good. It's when you find Jesus in the midst of the hell. And she said, and I wouldn't trade that for all of the walking in the world. Did you notice in John 1, 14, what John said he and the other followers of Jesus did? In the midst of declaring this great truth of Jesus, John identified one thing that they did. He said, we beheld his glory. John was an eyewitness, one of the disciples called to follow Jesus, one of the apostles, one of the special chosen ones who would carry on the work after Jesus ascended. And John speaks for himself and those other followers of Jesus, and he says, we beheld his glory. Here's what you need to understand today. Beheld does not identify a coincidental look or, or discovery by accident. John's not saying, well, you know, one day we saw Jesus and we kind of glanced at him and it was like, oh, wow, I, look at who he is. No, it was a gazing upon with purpose, regarding with admiration. And that got me thinking. You know, it's unfortunate that so often in the Christmas season, 
in the hustle and bustle of what Christmas season is. The busyness of the schedules and the gifts and the traditions and all of those things. We see uh, around us a world that is crumbling. We look into our own lives and even in the midst of a busy Christmas season, we know that deep down there are struggles and there are difficulties and there are challenges. But this Christmas season, can I challenge you, don't pass Jesus by or just give him an honorary mention. Don't just glance his direction. Don't just give him that honorary, well, yep, Jesus is the reason for the season, but I've got all these other things going on, and I've got to get the cookies made, and I've got to go to this, and I've got to go to that, and I've got to be a part of this, and I've got to go shopping for this, and gift that, and all these things. How about instead we take some time to slow down and with purpose we take time to reflect to worship to gaze upon the baby in the manger why because he is God come in the flesh he is the splashovers of heaven into the splashovers of hell. And friends, that produces joy. The truth Jesus came provides joy even in spite of the circumstances of life. And you might be here today and you're a child of God, you're a follower of Christ. Can I challenge you? experience joy through focusing on the truth of God coming to us in the person of Christ. Don't let this season pass by without taking the time, without reflecting, without gazing upon that baby in the manger, who he is, what his coming means for your life. Don't pass over the reality that in he provided grace and truth. He declared with his life, with his actions, with his love, grace and truth for you. Don't let the, the misunderstandings of our theology, don't let misconceptions about who God is rob you of the joy that his coming came to provide. Take time to reflect and gaze on him. And then, for those of you here or listening and watching who may not know Jesus as your Savior, receive him. He's the Savior you need. While every other religion says you need to get to God, the Bible, which is God's word, declares you can't get to God. So he came to you. Believe on him today and be saved. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? And let's just take a moment now to reflect on Jesus. That baby lying in a manger who is God come in the flesh, who 
brought grace and truth. And perhaps today God has spoken to your heart about this truth that with him he brought joy. And today your joy is not dependent on you measuring up. Today your joy is dependent on recognizing that you cannot but God came to you. He provides grace, truth, that in spite of the circumstances of life, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through or have gone through, joy is found in Jesus. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, as a testimony to God today, he has touched my heart about Jesus bringing joy into the world as being at the heart of Christmas. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? God has spoken to my heart today. Many hands, praise God. If that's true, in just a moment when the invitation is given, just simply for these few moments, reorient your focus to gaze on Christ. Make a commitment to take time this Christmas season to really reflect on Jesus, who he is, and what he's brought with him. Maybe there's someone here today or watching or listening by way of the webcast and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you're one who has believed that you could get to God and God has spoken to your heart today to help you to understand that in your brokenness and your sin, you cannot measure up. But in his love and grace, he came to you. Friends, Jesus came to this world. He lived the life that we cannot. He died the death that we deserve on the cross. And he rose to life. Winning victory over death and hell. And the Bible declares to us that if today you will simply place your faith and trust in Christ, recognizing you're a sinner condemned in your sin before God, but believing that God sent Jesus, he died for you, was buried and rose again. And you call out to him in faith. The Bible declares he'll save you today. And if that's your need, I would encourage and challenge you to call out to him. And if you do, come and let us know. Send us a message online and let us know that you trusted Christ today.